Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. The application deadline is March 1st. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Senate is moving a bill forward that could make it easier to practice acupuncture in Mississippi. Less is known about acupuncture. I know acupuncture has been around for 5,000 years, but we feel that physician referral is much more appropriate when referring to an acupuncturist. And I should not have to go get a doctor's blessing who may not even believe in acupuncture, may not have read any of the studies about the efficacy of acupuncture, telling me, oh, and I've heard some of them say, oh, that's hocus pocus. We'll hear from both sides. And after a Mississippi StoryCorps, find out how to take part in an upcoming conversation on the role of women in politics. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Senate is advancing a bill that would offer more freedom for acupuncturists to treat patients. Senate Bill 2214 allows acupuncturists to see patients without first getting a referral from a medical doctor if the acupuncturist has been licensed in Mississippi longer than five years. Jerusha Stevens is an acupuncturist in central Mississippi. She says this legislation will not open the door for unlicensed pet practitioners. We have been trying to reduce or eliminate this referral for six years and this is the best option that we have had. We have worked with many different types of compromises and this is basically in the spirit of compromise. What types of things might someone be treated for with acupuncture? I see a lot of chronic pain and so for patients that are dealing with low back pain, sciatica, frozen shoulder, a lot of long-standing problems that arise from musculoskeletal issues, acupuncture can treat. Um, that is just a small segment of what all acupuncture can treat. I, I treat patients for allergies, anxiety, asthma. Um, there's a very long list of things that the World Health Organization has listed as beneficial for acupuncture. Even though this is not 100% of what we want, we are getting closer. Acupuncturist Jerusha Stevens. Getty Israel is a public health professional who uses acupuncture to control chronic pain from an accident. She supports the bill because she says it gives her more choices, as she tells MPB's Ezra Wall. Well, first of all, this is, I think, maybe the seventh time that a bill of this nature with with these goals have come before our uh, state legislative body. And the purpose of it is to um, remove, to eradicate the the existing control that positions a completely, totally different healthcare profession 
has on the acupuncture uh, practice in the state of Mississippi. For instance, the existing bill, which I think was passed in 2009, which was the original bill, gives the physician control in that I, as a patient, have to go to my doctor, which requires money out of my pocket, and if I'm insured, money out of my insurance company's pocket, to see a doctor, to ask that doctor for permission, uh, which would lead to a prescription and referral to see an acupuncturist. Uh, Furthermore, I have to be within 60 miles of the acupuncturist who's practicing. So that creates another burden on me as a patient. I think we have about eight acupuncturists practicing in the state. A few may be doctors, but you don't have to be a doctor to practice. Most who do practice around the country are not doctors. So for people who are not familiar with acupuncture and how it sort of intersects with with Western Mm -hmm. medicine or at least with, with us as Westerners, what would a person go to an acupuncturist for? Oh, pain. I went to the acupuncturist for pain. Um, lower back pain, particularly for me, in my case, from an accident. It can be used for dental pain, pain for a woman who's in labor, having a baby, menstrual pain, back pain, neck pain. It's been used for cancer patients who experience pain associated with chemotherapy. Um, It's been used to treat, uh, it's being used to treat depression, people who are addicted to drugs, various uh, reasons why. A person would see an acupuncturist and also for a person who does not want to rely on drug therapy. And, and I am one of those individuals. And there are thousands of us. We shop at Whole Foods. We shop at Rainbow. We exercise. We eat healthy. We are looking for integrative health care. We're looking for options to drug therapy and invasive therapies like surgery. Would you say this on some level at least is a, is a personal freedom issue for you? Yes, it is. Because I live in Mississippi, a state, a state that claims to believe in, in freedom for, for the patient, for the consumer, for the employee, a state that claims to, to, to believe in capitalism and to promote free enterprise. And so this isn't just about acupuncture. This is about me as a patient having the right to choose my line of therapy. And I should not have to go get a doctor's blessing who may not even believe in acupuncture, may not have read any of the studies about the efficacy of acupuncture, telling me, oh, and I've heard some of them say, oh, that's hocus pocus. And they've never had the experience, haven't read any of the many studies that I have read as a public health expert about the efficacy of acupuncture. Getty Israel is a public health advocate, a public health professional uh, in Mississippi, and also an acupuncture uh, patient. Getty, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. One of the major organizations working to defeat Senate Bill 2214 is the Mississippi State Medical Association. Dr. Lee Volters of Gulfport is the association's president. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall why he thinks doing away with physician referrals to acupuncturists is a dangerous idea. My understanding of uh, Senate Bill 2214 is that that would, and the thing that we are concerned about, first of all, is two parts. One is, one is to uh, re reaffirm acupuncturists in Mississippi. And we're, we find, we're fine with that. That's fine. And uh, um, I don't, we don't have any problem with uh, licensed acupuncturists practicing in Mississippi. However, what we do have a concern about is that the bill would remove the requirement for a physician referral before a patient sees an acupuncturist. And that, that concerns us somewhat. Why, why is that concerning? Because it takes the physician out of the evaluation of uh, a medical problem for that patient. It removes 
you know, it removes the physician from the process. And I think it, it sets a dangerous precedent. It basically sets up an acupuncturist as an independent practitioner of, uh, of uh, a field of medicine. You know, acupuncture is not a medicine. It's a treatment modality. And, uh, for instance, you know, physical therapists, occupational therapists, we refer patients for a physical therapy program. We refer patients for occupational therapy. We have, you know, we evaluate a patient. Uh, we diagnose a problem as physicians, and we say, you know, we think this patient should need physical therapy. We think this patient should need an x-ray test or a lab test. People don't walk into labs and get blood tests, walk into physical therapy offices and get physical therapy uh, treatment without a physician being involved. I think this would set, this would set a, a dangerous precedent in that acupuncturists, you know, we, well, we delegitimize the physician's role in healthcare process. And, it, and I think, you know, with all due respect, I think it raises the role of the acupuncturist back uh, above what it should be given. You know, uh, we're all about evidence-based medicine and practicing research-based scientific approach to medicine. And, you know, there's very little in the, in the medical literature, in the traditional medical literature, which sets acupuncturists as being uh, superior treatment modalities to, to, any, to more traditional medicine. So what about people who see this as a personal freedom issue, as sort of an, an individual liberty issue, like somebody who, somebody who, for instance, compares it to their ability to go see a chiropractor rather than a more traditional medical doctor or, or something along those lines? Well, again, you know, chiropractors have you know, independent licenses to practice chiropractic medicine. You know, they have their own uh, chiropractic board and they have their own code of ethics and, and uh, treatment modalities. And they usually do work with, with physicians, the majority do, but you're, you're correct. You do not have to have a physician referral to see a chiropractor. But, you know, uh, less is known about acupuncture. I know acupuncture has been around for 5,000 years and, and, and we started, you know, in, in China, etc. But, uh, you know, we feel that... We feel that um, uh, physician referral is much more appropriate when when referring to an acupuncturist. So one of the one of the questions that was raised by uh, a, an acupuncture patient that I spoke to was why should some why should I have to engage a, an additional layer of uh, medical practice in my choice as a patient um, if 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 this person has tried various avenues of treatment and is, is not individually satisfied with the results of them, I guess their their point is why should I have to go and incur the additional expense of going to back to a doctor to try to convince that doctor to give me a referral to an acupuncturist? All I can say to that, and I understand the patient's frustration that, but you know, the physicians, uh, you know, certainly the medical society, the medical association and its members we're about patient safety. We're about providing the best standard of medicine we possibly can to patients. And we feel as a society, as a medical association, that before we make a referral to anybody, whether it be a physical therapist or a chiropractor, if we're involved in that process, or an acupuncturist, that we want to make an appropriate evaluation of that patient and, and, and make sure that it's, it's the right thing to do. It may be that someone has a, a particular diagnosis of a problem that we do not feel the acupuncturist would be helpful for. In fact, it may, it may be, have a negative effect and we would not recommend it. Uh, we come up with the idea of a, a physician referrals to acupuncturists and they say if there's a problem with the referral process, we would be very happy to make that 
easier. But we really feel that cutting out the physician referral to an acupuncturist is deleterious to the health of the patient. We really feel that we need to be involved in that. Dr. Lee Volters is the president of the Mississippi State Medical Association and is a neurologist in Gulfport. Thank you very much for spending time with us today. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Senate Bill 2214 now goes to the House, where a similar bill has already died in committee. Find out how to take part in an upcoming conversation on the role of women in politics. That's coming up after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Everybody likes summer camp, right? But for people with special needs, getting that time away can take a little extra effort. That's where Special Session comes in. It's a program offered at Canton's Camp Bratton Green. In this week's Mississippi Stop on the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, we hear first from Gracie Belote, then Sarah McLean Archer, and Baxter Richardson. I have been going there for as long as I can remember. Apparently, my dad taught me how to swim in the pool there when I was like six months old. Um, so I've just been like chilling at camp my whole life. I've been a camper and a counselor and been super involved. And you lived there, right? Oh, yeah. We totally forgot about that. <laughs> um, so my dad, when he was younger, his parents were the property manager and um, in charge of the kitchen at the camp. And so they lived there. And then my dad became the property manager of the camp um, when he got old enough to do that. And so we lived on site at the camp for four years. And people always are like, Gracie, you lived at summer camp all year round. Like, that must have been great. But in the winter, it was just really creepy and <laughs> and just sad because we were in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't quite all camp songs and games all year round. I went to camp for a while before we were old enough to staff special session. I think it's cool the very first day when you get to see everybody. And do you remember your first special session when everybody gets out of the car and you see all these new faces and you're completely overwhelmed and you've been warned this is a special (laughs) thing this is great everybody's happy and you don't know why (laughs) i don't know i have so many great memories of that first yeah and like the first time that you're a staff at special session and all the campers are arriving for the first day it's overwhelming because you haven't met most of these campers before. But then the next year you come back, they all remember you and they give the best hugs. I have never received better hugs than on the day that campers arrive at special session. As soon as they see you, both your and their eyes light up and you run in slow motion like in a movie and then you attack each other with hugs and it's the most beautiful thing ever. I think it's really fun to talk about stories of us with campers but i just want to say the campers are our friends like there's this huge thing about you know not looking down on anybody that you're with and that includes your campers and your fellow counselors and everyone so i just want to say that we regard them as our very closest friends and i can say that because i have phone conversations with one of my campers every week at least once (laughs) yeah yeah that's one of my favorite things about camp is how 
everybody is an equal part of the experience of camp. Uh, there's no separation between counselor and camper. We eat all our meals together. We're, I mean, we feed each other food <laughs> and we say goodnight to each other every night. Oh, that's another one of my favorite things is saying goodnight to campers at night and everybody just goes around and they're like, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> and oh, that's the best. Actually, you want to tell one? Yeah, I guess this is my first year. This I think sophomore year of high school, right before sophomore year. And I did not want to go to the camp at all and just did not want to go, never been. But my mom figured out, met the director and signed me up and sent me on my way. I just didn't know anybody. But I came to like know my cabin. And the first night when all the campers arrive, they were all getting ready for bed. So they were all taking their showers. And this one larger man, <laughs> he would always go in the shower, wash himself, and then he'd walk out without a towel, without anything, dripping wet and covered in soap. So we'd have to send him back to the shower so he could rinse off and he would come out and he'd be soaking wet. So we'd hand him a towel and he'd dry off, but he'd always forget his towel. So every morning, another counselor would wake up and get ready for the day. He'd have his little face towel and he'd go to the bathroom, brush his teeth, do all of his toiletries. And he'd have his little towel to wash his face. And every morning he would drape it on his bunk. And then every night... This camper would go take a shower and come out soaking wet without a towel, and he'd grab the first towel he would see. The first towel was always this little hand towel that the counselor used, so the camper would dry himself off everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Then he'd put it back where he found it, and then he'd go get dressed. And this continued all week until the last night the counselor was paying attention and noticed that the camper grabbed the towel and he asked if he'd been using that same towel every day and the camper nodded and smiled. <laughs> and that was my no first wingly. year. Yeah. <laughs> to hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi is one of four states that has never elected a woman to Congress. And when you include Congress and the governor's office, Mississippi stands alone. The Mississippi Humanities Council and the organization Rethink Mississippi are hosting a conversation to explore the role of women in Mississippi politics. Caroline Gillespie of the Humanities Council and Jake McGraw of Rethink Mississippi are with us to talk about why the issue of women in elected office is so important to them. You know, I think that this is a problem that um, that has got national trends in terms of low women involvement in elected office, but I think it's especially evident in Mississippi, and especially with the the start of the legislative session. Um, I think that this is a this is just a very timely topic, and I think it's something that that people will have a a real interest in Mississippi 50th for women in politics so are we talking strictly about elected office um, appointed positions in government Jake well we, we conceived of it looking at at um, 
this is part of a broader series in which Mississippi, looking at issues in which Mississippi ranks 50th, but don't get as much attention as some of the big, broader, overarching issues. What drew us to this is the fact that Mississippi is the only state in the country that has never elected a woman to be governor or a member of Congress. And we currently also rank 50th in the percentage of our state legislature that is female. We, th- we thought about it in terms of elected office, but I think that this conversation is going to lead us into a, a lot of different issues. And we saw the women's marches in, in Jackson and in Oxford coinciding with the women's marches around the country. You know, women are, are being getting involved in politics in ways that are not just through elected office right now. And I think that all of those topics are fair game for this discussion. Caroline, why do you think that women aren't gaining traction in the state in regard to elected office? In preparing the questions for the panel, I think that that's something we're definitely um, trying to to gain some knowledge from the panelists themselves. You know, whether it's an issue of, of women not running and, you know, races that um, that's, that two of our panelists hold seats in, or if it's that they're running and they're just not being elected. It's a good question to ask, and I don't know if it's case by case or what it is, but it's it's definitely something that, that I'm interested in finding out more about. Jake, let me ask you this way. When someone runs for office, they have positions and ideology, and here's what I'm going to do. Shouldn't that be more important to gender? Why should gender play a part in whether someone is elected or not? Well, I think ideally we'd say that it, it, it shouldn't, but um, but just based on the fact that, that every governor Mississippi's ever elected and every member of Congress we've ever elected has been a man, I think says that, in fact, gender is playing a, a role. But haven't the majority of those running for office been men? Right, and so that, that, that's, a, you know, that, that's part of what we want to really get into tonight. Um, is this a pipeline problem? Is it, a, is it the fact that women are just not... Um, running for office, or is there a glass ceiling that prevents them from from moving up in political office or winning political office, um, or is or is it both? And I think you know across the country, um, people that have looked at this have said that there's there's a little bit of, of both at play. But the fact that Mississippi um, is the exception in, in in some of these cases, I think, um, bears uh, some discussion about what it makes us unique. Why are we the outlier? Can we expect panelists who have who are women who have elected office and what they've been up against? Yes. So we've got um, we've got a panel of three women um, and a moderator who is the executive director of the Women's Foundation of Mississippi. So the panelists, um, Senator Sally, State Senator Sally Doty, um, State Representative Deborah Gibbs, and a political science professor from Jackson State University, uh, Dr. Bessie House-Rumikin. So I feel like we've got um, a good mix of, of women who were in elected office, um, as well as Dr. House-Rumikin, who can kind of put um, women in elected office in a more contextual look for the panel. Who do you want to see at this forum tonight? We found that there's there's a a wide range of people that have been interested in that. Um, I think that, that we'll, we'll bring a lot of the same faces out um, who've been coming tonight. Um, but I think we're also going to have new people who are particularly interested. And, and I really hope that a lot of the folks that were activated during the women's marches will see this as an opportunity to come and, and continue that engagement and, and ask good questions. We always want to have um, plenty of time for Q&A and discussion before and after. I mean, this is, this is social it's not a dry academic panel discussion. Like this is, 
we're all we're all here to kind of learn from one another, to build relationships, and to have a good time. Caroline, what time and where? Uh, the program will start at five thirty tonight at Hallen Miles in downtown Jackson. Um, the panel discussion will start uh, a little bit closer to five forty-five, and we should be done by seven. But people are welcome to stay as long as they'd like and hang out and talk more about the issues. And people are welcome to ask questions and participate. Absolutely, we you know we we want people to ask questions. We want people to ask them when when. The speaker is on stage, but we also want, once they come off stage, for people to be able to have one-on-one conversations. Caroline Gillespie is with the Mississippi Humanities Council. Jake McGraw is from Rethink Mississippi. They are co-sponsors of this Ideas on Tap. Why is Mississippi 50th for women in politics? Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, in legal terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. The application deadline is March 1st. More information at education.olemiss.edu.